Let's now turn to the Word of God for our instruction. We turn to the book of Daniel and the ninth chapter. The book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel, and the ninth chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us come and hear God's holy Word. There are two readings this evening. The first is taken here from the book of Daniel in the ninth chapter, and then we turn to the New Testament. Let us hear the Word of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asahirius, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near, and that are afar off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him, and he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven that hath not been done, as hath been done upon Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses, All this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we have obeyed not his voice. Now, O Lord our God, 
and has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousnesses, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant, and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter, and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even In troublous times, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Amen. We now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, 
and the 24th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew and the 24th chapter. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Lord, help us as we come to his word. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, so readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Amen. We'll end the public reading of God's holy, infallible word there. We pray that the Lord will be pleased to attend the ministry of his word, uh, come upon preacher and congregation, enable us to understand and apply his word here this evening. Well, dear congregation, I ask you to please turn your prayerful attention to that word of that I read in the book of Daniel to you, and in the ninth chapter, 
The book of Daniel, we read the prophecy of Daniel in the chapter 9. And let me say just a few things by way of introduction this evening. My friends, this book that we're holding in our hands, the Bible, contains the history of the world. The history of the world from beginning to ending. Things that happened when God spoke and said, let there be light. When God created the heavens and the earth, all of these major events in history are recorded in the word of God. This book contains the history of of the world from beginning to end. It contains details of the greatest events in history from the creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. How did the world come into existence? But God spoke it into existence. And then we have the fall, do we not? In Genesis chapter 3. That is the explanation as to how we are where we are today. In the world, why the world is in such a mess. And then we have the destruction of the old world. We have the great flood, which happened somewhere around the year 1656, when God deluged the entire earth, and only eight souls were spared out of millions of people. Eight souls survived. Destroyed by water. But sin remained in the hearts of Noah's sons. And sin is perpetuated down through the millennia. I say this book, the Bible, contains the history of the world. 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. Another 2,000 years from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2,022 years from the Lord Jesus Christ to us today. The world is no less, or no more, should we say, than 6,000 and perhaps 22 years, somewhere around there. The world, despite what scientists try to tell you, is a young world. The ancient world is now destroyed. We are told by Peter under prophecy by the Holy Spirit, that men in the last days will say, where is the promise of his coming? Men will mock the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and suppose it to be just a fable, a myth, but it's not. Or something that he simply just alluded to, but it's not a real event that will take place in time. But it will happen. Let me just take you to the events that are taking place here. Somewhere around 586 BC, 586 years before the coming of Christ. We know what happened in Judah. The people went in the same way as Israel in the north. They disobeyed God and God said that he would lead them captivity into Babylon. And he did. For 70 years, they were in captivity because of their idolatry, because of their sin. Jerusalem was destroyed, fields were set alight, houses were burned, and many of the elite, many of the officials, men like Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were carried away, 
and many other families into a foreign land, part of God's judgment upon the nation Judah. Because they had, as we have read here in Daniel chapter 9, they had gone their own way. They had come away from God's commandments. They were a favored people. They had been blessed by God. Remember, ever since the days of Abraham, God made a nation out of Abraham and promised that Jacob, his son, out of Jacob would come those 12 tribes, and out of one of those tribes would come the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has not yet come in this time here in Daniel chapter 9, but he has spoken of in Daniel chapter 9. So in 586 B.C., Daniel and a number of his friends and families, the elite, intelligent men were taken from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, captured. Many of them were made eunuchs. Daniel is an old man now, somewhere around 80 years old. And we notice, as we've read in Daniel chapter 9, he has been reading the prophet Jeremiah. And he came to understand, if you notice verse 1 of Daniel chapter 9, that in the first year, when Asheris of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years, wherefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So 70 years of captivity. If you turn to Jeremiah 29 in the verse 10, it says there, Jeremiah 29 verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place, but it was after the people sought the Lord with all of their heart. And we see after here Daniel prays, prays, and makes supplication in the evening hour. Daniel was a regular prayer man, a man always in prayer, a man serving the Lord, praying even when kings had commanded him not to pray. Daniel was a faithful man. He lived before God. He loved God and he loved God's people. Now, Daniel came to read Jeremiah 29 verse 10. And he understood that after 70 years, God would accomplish that purpose which he had sent the people into Babylon to chasten them and to restore them back to himself. And we notice in the verse 20, while he was praying and confessing his sin. Notice, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly. Gabriel, an angel, touched me about 
the time of the evening oblation or the evening sacrifice. So David was a, uh, Daniel was a faithful man. And this same Gabriel here, if you notice chapter 8, verse 16, came in the first year of Belshazzar. And he appeared also, this same Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and Mary in the New Testament and gave the news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. These angels, they do not age. They sent from God. Luke chapter 1 verse 19, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. Gabriel stood in the very presence of God Almighty, and that very angel appeared to Daniel and gave him wonderful news. Now this evening, friends, at this gospel sermon and service, I want to set before you the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was spoken of in this chapter, and I particularly want to look at the work of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is referred to here in this chapter. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined on thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. We'll look at those things here this evening. As I said, this book, the Bible, containing 66 books, contains the history of the world from beginning to end. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, we read even of the saints who will come out of the graves of the great resurrection day, and they will stand before Almighty God. Daniel is given these words of prophecy as to what will happen at the end of time. Not just concerning the Savior who came into the world and who was to come into the world. And I want us to look at this remarkable prophecy here tonight. These 70 weeks which are spoken of here. And we can see right down to the finest detail. God's promise to send his son into this world. This past week. We're reminded of time and events. There's a time to be born, says Solomon. And there's a time to die. And there's a time we will have to stand before the Lord and give an account of all that we've ever heard. Now we've lived in the light of God's word. There were people that had heard God's word and disobeyed God's word. And God led them away into captivity. God is just and holy. But my friends, God is also merciful to those who cry out to him and seek his mercy. And so we read here, Daniel is praying and making an evening offering. Now in the verse 22, we're told two particular reasons why Gabriel came. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel. And here's the first reason. I am now come to give thee skill and understanding. Let me say this, friends. Man thinks he's wise, but we are foolish. 
The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, not his head, there is no God. It's a heart problem. We think we're wiser than this book. We're fools. This book gives us the details of all the history of the events of time until the end of time, when time will be no more, and it will be eternity. So we better listen and pray that God will give us skill and understanding as we come to his word. We need his spirit to teach us. The Lord Jesus said of his people that they shall all be taught of God. May God teach us tonight and teach us that this book is true. Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate ever read the word of God? I'm amazed by the amount of people that I meet, particularly in the open air, and they say, well, the Bible's a book of nonsense. And I often ask them, say, my friend, have you, have you read much scripture? Oh, yeah, well, I've read a few verses here. I haven't really read the word of God. And it's folly to speak ignorantly. The word of God says, by our words we should be judged, condemned, or justified. So let us not speak ill-advisedly. Let us search the scriptures and God help us. Now notice the first reason, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Now notice verse 23, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. Now isn't that wonderful? As Daniel was praying... The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. Isn't that wonderful? My friend, the soul that prays. Daniel was confessing his sins. And the one who truly confesses and has honest dealings with God, and who draws near to God, God will draw near to such a soul, my dear friends. One of the reasons why men do not know God is they do not draw near to God. James tells us, draw near to him and he will draw near unto thee. And so Daniel drew near in prayer. I am come to show thee, Daniel, second reason, for thou art greatly beloved. And let me say this, all of God's people are beloved. And the only reason... It's because of God's choice. Now, why do we love God? It's because he first loved us. It's the only reason why we love him. By nature, there's there's no love for God in our hearts. And if we feel our hearts drawn out to God, take comfort. We are beloved of God. If you've come to love God, to appreciate his word, Continue to draw near. The psalmist says, it is good for me to draw near. My friend, there is no greater being. We are never worse off for drawing near to God. We are always the better off. God can only do the sinner good, as we have already sung. He can only do sinners good. God makes us wise unto salvation through his word. For thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Daniel was not to put his own spin or twist on the things that he hears, but is to hear, to listen, and to understand. 
There may be some things that you do not understand, but pray on and keep praying and keep seeking the Lord, and He will be found of thee. For ye has made thee to seek Him. Now, beloved, Daniel was beloved to all of God's people. are. Now notice, Gabriel brings the message in verse 24 to verse 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And I want us to think about these things here, these 70 weeks of Daniel. Are they 70 literal weeks? Now the answer is very clearly no. They are symbolic. And what we will see is many things take place here. But if you understand what the 70 is, they are 77s, if you like. Sevens, so we understand these years. 70 or 69 weeks here, we'll see certain things happen. And there's a week in between the event. Now, when will this happen? Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. Now, the Hebrew word here for week is the word shabua, which means weeks, 70 weeks. So these are sevens, not seven literal weeks. We think of 70 weeks, four, 40, 490 days. But are these literal days? No, these are years. These are what we call weeks of years. So when you work it all out, it's 490 years. Now we can be sure of this. This didn't happen 40 or 70 weeks after this because the temple was surely not built. The Messiah didn't come into the world 70 weeks after this is proclaimed. We know that King Cyrus issued a decree to build Jerusalem in the year 538 B.C. Some years after this. But then, when the temple was built, and you notice, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. When, and when will this take place? And to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. When does this take place? Well, think for a moment here. This week, Shabir means week. Now, we know when it comes to prophecy, we need to be very careful. You can't take this literally. This is why we, we reject premillennial eschatology. Is if you want to take everything literally, you end up in a real disaster here. What is the Lord saying? There are 490 years Seven sevens are what? Forty-nine. But here these are seven weeks, and this is deliverance. Seventy weeks, verse 24, are determined upon thy people. Here literally the interpretation of the word, 70 times seven, as I said, is 49. But the seven sevens 
of the 490. These weeks represent years. So 490 years. And this takes you to the time of 33 AD. Now what happened at 33 AD? The Messiah was cut off, just as we read here. These 70 weeks, 70 times 7, as I said, is 490. 7 is symbolic of fullness. So the fullness of the years of the the 77 weeks are 490 years to the coming of the Savior. Now, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, who would issue this decree? Cyrus. We're told in the prophecy of Isaiah that Cyrus would issue a decree. Daniel is here with the people in Babylon. And after the 70 years, Cyrus will issue a decree for the people to return And the temple to be rebuilt. And it is done over time because firstly under Zerubbabel. And then under Ezra. And then we know all about Nehemiah. And then in that was between 444 and 445 BC. Jerusalem was rebuilt. And so from that time. 490 years takes us from 444 B.C. up to 33 A.D. And what happened? The Messiah, as we read here, was cut off. Not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. And this has to be, my dear friends, one of the most remarkable prophecies in all of Scripture. And Gabriel cannot be wrong because he was sent from Almighty God to give these things. Seventy weeks, the temple will be rebuilt. Now what happened? You consider for a moment. And here he speaks of the desolation. We turned, if you just turn back there to that passage that we read in Matthew chapter 24. And if you ever question this, the validity of the things of Jesus Christ. I want you to examine the very words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24. What happens after the Messiah is cut off? Another 70 years will pass. Or the year 70 AD, should we say. He is then ascended up into heaven and the temple is destroyed. The Roman officials come in And they desecrate the temple. And then finally it is destroyed. Now notice, the Lord Jesus Christ here is speaking about the end times. But first of all must come the desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Verse, I'll read from verse 13. First of all, verse 13 is speaking of the end of the world. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Now notice, he goes back in time 
When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. In other words, something will be placed in the temple. Now it is believed that Caesar and some of the Roman officials placed some abominable thing in the temple and desecrated it. And then we know it was destroyed. And we know what happened in the year 70 AD. And the Lord Jesus warns about it here. Millions of Jews were practically starved to death. And what does the Lord say here? Run to the mountains. Verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place that is in the temple. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. In other words, get out of Jerusalem. It is going to be destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. The people, friends, it was horrific. We read of terrible things. Too terrible, I don't even want to mention some of them here this evening. People dying and eating human beings just to survive. Dead bodies. This was the judgment because they had rejected the Savior. The temple was destroyed. Do you remember the Lord Jesus when he breathed his last? The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying an end to the sacrificial system, a complete end to it. Yet the Jews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, and now judgment has come. So that's the whole context. But if you come back to this passage here, you notice that there are several things that take place when these 70 weeks, these 490 years, when the Savior comes into the world and he does his work, he does a mighty work to save his people. I want you to notice the first three things deal with God removing certain things. Verse 24, this takes us back to the work of the Savior. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now let me just say, concerning the last, the Lord Jesus is the anointed king. He's in heaven. He sat down now at the right hand of the majesty of God our Father. We will have a king over this nation. He's already been announced as the king. And be anointed. But there is a king in the heavens. And it is because of his finished work and all that he has done and accomplished for his people in time and history 
that he is now the king in glory. And one day every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. These things have been prophesied in Scripture. So we must take heed. Let us notice the things that are set before us here. First of all, to finish the transgression. Well, the word here, Peshah, means rebellion. When the Savior came into the world, we know that many, many, many Jews were saved. Many Gentiles were saved. History, the world has changed because of Jesus Christ, my friends. We know from Scripture that the Jews indeed had never gone back to idolatry. You think about it. They even continue on, though wrong, I suppose, in the religious ceremony. But they do not rebel and follow false idols again. But here in the sense, he finishes the transgression, the transgression of who? His people. He will put an end to rebellion. He will change the hearts of many. He will turn the hearts, we're told, of many people. And let me say this, friends, sin is the posture of rebellion. If you've ever thought about it, sin is the posture of rebellion. Sin is against God. It's not just simply doing something wrong, but it's rebelling against God. That's what sin is, isn't it? It's saying, I will do things my way. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he was given that title, thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. My, you look at the lives of some people that the Lord has changed here. He's changed them from their rebellious ways. Transgression, the Hebrew word here means rebellion. To put an end, and he comes to live in our hearts. In essence, really, he brings his people to God. He makes reconciliation by himself. And we are told in Scripture that he brings us nigh unto God by his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. This is part of the new covenant promise. Remember what the Lord said in Jeremiah 31, and I will give them a new heart. Christians are born again. And he has changed Not just many Jews, but you think how Christianity has spread out into the world. Ezekiel 11.19, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. God has done that to many of us. You know, salvation by and large was to Israel, wasn't it? (laughs) But now the world, he is called the savior of the world. Not that he will save everybody out of the world, but he he saves all kinds of sinners out of the world. The gospel, as we have read there in Matthew 24, shall go out into all the world. And this is a wonderful thing. We read in Daniel chapter 2 how there's an image of man made out of clay, brass, iron, 
this great figure of a man. And the rock that is taken out of the mountain, which represents Christ, smites the kingdom, smites the Roman Empire, smites the Babylonian Empire, smites the Medo-Persian Empire. And his kingdom and his dominion expands and expands. You say, well, I can't see it. God's people that have died are in heaven. And one day, the people of this world will see all those who belong to Christ's kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it were of this world, I would fight. When God's people die, where do they go? They go to the place where the spirits of just men are made perfect. And one day, my dear friends, this whole world will be in shock when it sees a multitude which no man can number. A day is coming. It is a vast kingdom. It is a glorious kingdom. The kingdoms of this earth come and go. But Christ's kingdom, though it is unseen, it's there. It's there. And the world will see who are Christ's. All that are Christ's, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Those who were martyrs died, died in the faith, been persecuted for one reason or another, know this, the end of their sorrows is everlasting joy and bliss with Christ in heaven. And they now in his kingdom. Remember what he said to that malefactor, to, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Paul tells us in Hebrews 12, the things that are unseen cannot be shaken, but this world will be shaken. Peter says the elements will melt with a fervent heat. The world has to end. It, it would be wicked for God to keep this world going on as it is, because it's so full of sin. Wouldn't it be a cruel and a wicked God to allow it to continue? The world has to end because it is full of sin, gross iniquity. But he comes to bring a new kingdom. And the kingdom is in the hearts of his people. He comes to live in them. Paul tells us in Romans 5, doesn't he, that sin reigned under Adam. And through Adam, sin came into the world. By one man, sin entered into the world. But by another man, by Christ Jesus, righteousness comes and we have favor with God. And the grace of God begins to reign in the child of God's heart. He belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 5, he describes what all of his kingdom members are like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. If these things are in you, it proves that you're a member of Christ's kingdom. You see, to put an end, to make an end of sins. 
Have you begin to, begun to experience that? You look at your life and you say, well, I know I'm not perfect. But I am by the Spirit of God mortifying the deeds of the body every day. And I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me and his in him. Well, to make an end of sins, to come and to live in our hearts, to help us to conquer sin, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And you look back on your old life, think of what a havoc sin makes in your life. Doesn't sin make a mess of our lives? Doesn't sin make us ignoble? It makes us less of a person. See a man lie. See him degrade himself. That's what we were. But Paul says, but you're washed. You're made clean. What happened? He says to Titus, but when the kindness of God, when the philanthropos, literally that's the word, came, when the kindness of God appeared by the washing and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we were born again and made new creatures. Whoever's in Christ is a new creature. And we begin to experience end of sin in our lives. Or a putting to death. And then notice something else. As we look at the text here, this is imperative that we see it here. And to make an end of sins. To put away the transgression, to finish transgression, and then to make an end of sins. How does he do this? Sin is an offense to God. Because God is holy, isn't he? To make an end of sins. We read, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians that he indeed nailed the handwriting that was against us. All the charges of the law. Sin is missing the mark, isn't it? That's what sin is. But how does he make an end of sin? Paul tells us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we may be made the righteousness of God in him. That's amazing, isn't it? He makes an end of sin. How does he do it? Well, we're told in Isaiah, My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In Jesus Christ, my friends, the believer's sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. And no more, says God, will I remember their transgressions. This is an amazing thing. Now notice, thirdly, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. To reconcile sinners to a holy God. And this is the only way that it could be. Sin must be dealt with. The weight of the law that was against us. The word here, iniquity, is the word avon, which means perversity. As God looked at us, we were perverse. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, he who is holy, harmless, and undefiled, and altogether lovely, 
took to himself our sin. That amazing, isn't it? That God should take the guilt, the condemnation, to make a, an end, to make rather reconciliation for iniquity. Or rather, we could say, to make satisfaction for sin. He was wounded, says Isaiah, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yet to suffer the just for the unjust, that he would bring his people unto God. You see, and all God's people believe this. The world says, no, I'm clean. Scriptures say, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. These are glorious things. Glorious things for us to behold. Again, let us turn there to Daniel 9. And we notice in our text what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for his people. As we continue on here, verse 24, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. How does he do this? By living the life, friends, as a man. He who is God the Son became the Son of Man. Spoken of many times in the book of Daniel. The Son of God became the Son of Man. He came under the law, says Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To bring in righteousness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is transgression of the law. But Christ had to earn a positive righteousness on behalf of his people. To give them a righteousness. We, we know that parable that the Lord Jesus Christ gives of the wedding feast. And all of the wedding feast are given a garment. And they wear it. And they wear it gladly. You could not enter into that wedding feast without that garment. But there's a man that gets in and he doesn't have the wedding garment. And he's told, what are you doing here? You don't have the right garments on. That's a picture of the person that has no righteousness. And Christ, my friend, brings in everlasting righteousness by the life that he lived. You see, salvation requires many things, doesn't it? To take away sin and to bring in everlasting righteousness. We're told in the prophecy of Jeremiah, this is how we should be saved. The Lord... Our righteousness, Jehovah Sekinul, the Lord, our righteousness. So here to bring in everlasting righteousness. Isn't this wonderful? My dear friends, this is the only way. The history book of the Bible is telling us this is what happened. Throughout those 33 years of our Lord Jesus Christ's life, what was he doing he was obeying his Father to bring his people a righteousness which we could never earn, which we could never attain to, and to bring it in forever. We read of everlasting righteousness that will never fade away. that wonderful? It's a marvelous prophecy concerning our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And notice, and to seal up the vision and prophecy. Let me ask you the question, who has the last word in the Bible? The Lord Jesus said, I come quickly. Revelation 22. All scripture is given by God. And Christ seals up prophecy. We don't add to scripture. It's there. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And lo, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his deeds. His reward is with him. What is his reward? His reward in the believer is what he has done in the believer. You are his work if you're a Christian. His reward is with him to give every man according to his deeds. And you see, Christ gets the glory when he comes because he saves the sinner. Everybody else will be presenting themselves on that final day. Look what a good fellow I am. Look what a fine lady I am. Look at my life. Look at my deeds. Yeah, you will get according to your just deserts. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is all unmerited. Through the king who loved his people. The shepherd who became the lamb. And the one who is king eternal. God only wise. He will appear. We will all see him. And every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Christ, my dear friends, I've said this many times, the most alluded to verse in the New Testament are those words spoken of there in Psalm 110. When the father said to the son, sit down at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. He is anointed king. He was crowned by Herod, Pontius Pilate, with a crown of thorns. But we read in Hebrews that he's crowned with glory now. An honor. And the father has given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. We read in the book of the Revelation that he is that one upon that white horse, that white stallion, and upon his head were many crowns, and upon his thigh, Lord of lords and King of kings. We will see him. But here's the question. Will you meet him as saviour? Will you meet him as judge? The Jews rejected him. And God destroyed Jerusalem. The scriptures say, kiss the son. 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way. This is Christ's world. People say to me often, I don't need God. I'm living without God. My friend, nobody's living without God. He's giving you every breath of air to breathe. He's giving you life. He's given you this moment in time. May the Lord Jesus conquer hearts and bring men and women and children to bow the knee to him. For he will be glorified. He is the king. Many will herald King Charles as king. But even King Charles and every king will bow at Jesus one day and confess that he is Lord. He changes the life, friends. He deals with sin in the heart. He changes a man. He takes him from the dunghill of this world and he sets him among princes. And he causes his spirit to live in that man. How do I know? You see the change in a man's life. You see that man stopping swearing, smoking and drinking, and living his own way. And now he says, every part of me, lock, stock and barrel, belongs to Jesus Christ. My hours and my days all belong to him. And I am his glad servant. And I will serve him gladly to the end of my days. I pray the Lord will save sinners and bring them to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Maybe even this night, to the glory of his name. What a prophecy, all fulfilled and will be complete soon when he comes. Read Daniel chapter 12. You will see many will rise from the graves soon to see him. Some to everlasting life. Some, says Daniel, to everlasting destruction. May we be amongst the redeemed. For his name's sake, amen.